I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Coming up, it's Wednesday, so it must be PMQ's Unpacked. Patrick McGuire and I pause the action live from the House of Commons as Keir Starmer challenges Boris Johnson over taking the knee, racism, football, and a little bit of Northern Ireland too. So that's coming up. First, it's our columnist panel. It's Wednesday, so it must be Cramp on. Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson. Except Alice Thompson is off chasing beavers in Devon. Uh, I don't know if that's also what Robert Crampton's doing. So instead, we've got Angela Epstein and Andy Sylvester. So the thing I want to talk about, rather than necessarily having a culture war on the merits of masks, this concept of personal responsibility and where it sort of starts and ends and how even the idea of personal responsibility seems to have become a sort of a battle and it's already it's completely mad that anybody should have personal responsibility um you know somebody uh, we can't possibly trust people to do the right thing on coronavirus because one man put a flare up his backside outside Wembley and that proves that everyone the entire general public apart from me obviously but the entire general public are morons and they can't be trusted and we need rules constantly on how to rule uh, live our lives um, what do you think Angela where where Do we need to be more grown up about this concept of personal responsibility? You know something, for as long as I can remember, the cliche nanny state has been banded around for any moment at which the the government has seen to be intruding into our lives, um, you know, beyond what's deemed acceptable. And yet all bets are off now where it comes to masks. Suddenly we want the government to tell us what to do. Um, coronavirus loves people we know that if you have people you have a risk of infection but equally the vaccine program has been amazingly successful deaths thank god although every death is a, is a terrible thing but I think the other day there were six deaths that's six people who are being mourned deeply but compared to the the stratospheric numbers that were earlier on and uh, and as we know that the people that are getting the infections largely are not poorly and we're not seeing that you know massive rapid increase in hospitalization we have to learn to live with this thing we don't have masks for the flu if you want to go into a crowded place without a mask, um, then that's up to you. It would probably be sensible in the early stages of liberty to wear a mask. Um, I think there are certain places where it's obviously going to be absolutely necessary going into hospitals or any kind of clinical situation. Um, 
but other than that I think people have to think about it am I double vaxxed you know and and am I okay to move around if you want to wear a mask fantastic but I think we now have to take better better responsibility for this and not let the government tell us what to do anymore Andy where were you on this this the concept of personal responsibility well, I've got quite a lot of sympathy for the government on this one because basically they've had 18 months of people saying, stop setting silly rules and let me use my common sense. And now they've invited people to use their common sense and are now being barracked by many of those same people for not <laughs> setting out on a sort of itemised basis what they can and can't do. They've made a rod for their own back with stupid rules like, you know, the, the substantial meal and things like that. Um, but I still do have some sympathy with them. I think Shaps was right this morning. Government has basically taken the decision now that they're going to leave this in the hands of the public for a little while, and some people might call it abdicating responsibility. Some people might say it's returning to, to normal life. But I think there's been some sort of weird fundamental shift in what we expect of government over the last 18 months be it on the economy or on healthcare or on a whole number of other topics, where we're sort of assuming that they're in charge. You know, quite fundamental shifts in the way that, for instance, the economy works in the sense that if a company is struggling, the furlough scheme turns up and saves somebody. I'm not saying those are bad things, but just philosophically and fundamentally, there has been a shift towards government stepping in to prevent bad things happening so now we've got to a situation where government's saying well actually bad things might happen but you know it's kind of up to you to sort of protect yourself and protect the people around you and, and don't be a plonker um and we almost can't deal with being given that responsibility again it's like we've become sort of kids on a school trip you know when you see adults on a, on a corporate away day you know perfectly functional normal adults who are just waiting to be told by the event manager where to go at 5pm and if they're not told at 5pm they become four-year-olds who are just completely without scope or planning it's almost like we've reverted to that i feel i feel i feel like you've got a very specific uh away day that you've been to there andy <laughs> in mind uh when you're talking about that i mean Andrew, there was somebody was and there were, there were sort of two different schools of thought on the one hand uh, we don't go around, you know, the government does go around telling us all the time, you know, how to do everything, you know, how to correct ways to cross the road and all that sort of thing. Um, and then somebody else makes the point, well, um, what, why we, we've got a smoking ban uh, because it was agreed that smoking was 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 dangerous and harmful for health. Uh, they didn't say, everyone just use your common sense on smoking. Decide whether or not you've got to smoke in a, is it a busy train or a quiet train? Um, and so, uh, so there's there's a little there's a little bit of that go, going on as well. And I suppose the, the the reason the smoking analogy is better than some of the terrible analogies that people have been shouting at me on Twitter is that it is part about what you're doing and the harm. It's not just about personal harm, is it? It's the it's the harm to others, and it's a question of personal responsibility, but also sort of collective social responsibility too. Yeah, I mean, oh, sorry. I mean, in terms of of smoking, the problem with smoke, the, the difficulty with the, the smoking analogy is, I'd much rather know what you've been battered on Twitter about, though, Matt. Um, is... <laughs> sure, well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. So, I this morning, and I sort of did this thing. I thought, I'll t I don't know what I'm going to tweet about this coronavirus. It seems probably. I, I literally uh, then immediately regretted it, so I stopped. Um, I said the thing I find odd about the mask to mask debate careful how you say that it's people talking as if right now they're working a treat and if we throw them off we'll suddenly see a spike in cases the spike in cases is already happening maybe we should talk about why and if it matters instead of having another culture war about masks that was the point i was making and obviously what's yeah, now i think that's a 
I think that's a very fair point. You're a sensible fellow, Matt. Um, I mean, the thing is, Twitter, the difficulty... Twitter doesn't seem to think so, but that's a, that's a sort of separate... Ah, thought. Twitter. <laughs> Hello, Twitter. It's full of armchair warriors sitting in their back rooms. If you met them in the street, they'd be like a rat up a drain pipe. I'd be like, I wouldn't be about those people. I'm absolutely convinced of it, you know? Um, so, in fact, because it has happened to me once or twice, and I say, oh, yes, you know, you, and it's kind of, oh, got to go, my mother-in-law's coming for tea, bye. Um, what, you've so, met You've met somebody who's been rude on Twitter, you've met them in real yes, life? Yes, I have, I have, I have, and it was quite a highly placed, um, shall I out him? It was a QC, actually. Um, wow. He said something very rude about my journalism, which he's, uh, he's entitled to do, but he, in, he inferred that something was factually inaccurate when it wasn't, which was more, we were stray, straying into personal kind of uh, attack. Um, and, um, and when I actually bumped into him, um, I said, hang on, you're the person. How dare you? And he was with his wife. He said, we have to go. And he shot off. Wow. Um, so, so there you go. Um, he just made some very, very personal remark and, uh, you know, call these people to account. Anyway, that aside, we're all we're all big, big boys and girls now. Um, the smoking analogy is difficult because obviously if somebody's blowing plumes of smoke in your face, there's probably a very direct cause and effect issue in terms of what it's going to do to your cardiovascular and respiratory health. Um, and uh, and I do take the point about masks, but but we are broadly vaccinated now. And the whole point of the vaccination programme was to help us get out of this situation. I'm not saying don't wear a mask. There are probably times when maybe there should be some kind of mandatory issue over masks, perhaps on public transport, on the tube, for example, in London or here in Manchester, um, you know, on the metro or wherever you live, um, hospitals definitely but does that have it's not a zero-sum game anymore so if you are sitting in a nice airy kind of office space with lots of open windows it's mad to, to think that that it's compulsory to wear masks so I do think that personal responsibility largely has to come down to us it's interesting well we were, we were going to touch on the foreign aid vote we talked a lot about that uh yesterday but there was another vote last night where MPs approved compulsory vaccinations for care home staff in England uh, but quite a lot of conservatives, particularly on the sort of libertarian wing, where they were they were sort of anti. And again, this sort of goes to the heart of this whole question, doesn't it, um, Andy? Is that you want to say it should be up to everyone to get a vaccine? Uh, you know, mm. to want to do that voluntarily, personal responsibility, individual liberty. And, and yet, the Commons has had to vote to try and get um, uh, people who work in social care to make sure they get the vaccine. But I think that's it, isn't it? Because there are elements of of our political class, probably more so than the general public, who look at every issue through a certain prism, in this case, libertarianism. I'm quite, quite a big fan of libertarianism, as it goes. Um, but in the middle of a global pandemic, you have to drop some of those principles and just look at things on a case-by-case basis. And we know what happened to care homes. We know the people that are in care homes. And we know that there are a number of people still working in care homes who haven't had a vaccine. Now, you can talk about personal responsibility and wanting to make your own choices about having a, a, you know, stick in your arm, putting something that you don't really understand and probably can't pronounce. But you're in a care home with the most vulnerable people in society where a lot of people died and nobody's making you work in a care home. So I think we need to kind of get away from this sort of sort of principle first approach in our politics, which seems to be all the rage in the culture wars, um, and actually just look at things on a pragmatic basis, because I would imagine that 99% of people, especially people who have got uh, elderly relatives in care homes, would think that's a markedly sensible approach. Would you go as far as doing it in the like the NHS as well? 
I, I think there's a perfectly rational case for that. Um, and I think, you know, again, there's a case by case basis. If you're working in the NHS 111 helpline and you're working from home all year, then probably not. But if you're working in any sort of clinical setting or behind a reception in a place where you've got lots of 50 plus types wandering in, um, then yeah, I think it makes perfect sense. Um, uh, well, that was, yeah, we'll see if that happens. I mean, the, the logical conclusion of the vote last night is that it should apply to the NHS as well. Uh, one other thing I want to talk to you uh, about, Angela, this, this survey saying that um, more and more people are using dating apps just to find friends. Uh, it, it, it's even um, some dating apps now are adding just a friendship section just so that people can meet other people um, because it's been so difficult to meet Presumably, because it's quite difficult, you know, you don't meet friends of friends and work colleagues and all that sort of thing. Have you found yourself doing that, Angela? Well, well not not personally, because uh, thankfully um, I have, you know, I'm at home. Thank God I've got family. I've got, I live in quite a sort of low-key, uh, sorry, close-knit community. So you can walk down the road and people can go, hey, have you put on weight? Um, and all that <laughs> kind of thing. But And it's very difficult to, to forge the same kind. I mean, obviously, Matt, we're very, very close now, uh, forged over the internet. And, uh, <laughs> always a Friday night dinner at my house, should you be in my neck of the woods. Oh, I appreciate um, that. <laughs> <laughs> I do a mean chicken soup. Um, but the, the point is that um, friendship is very much, look, friendship historically has been about human interaction. People have pen pals, of course, people have met across the gulf of space through the internet. Um, one of my children lives abroad, so our whole conversations at the moment are, are like this. Uh, but that's usually starting from a, a point of knowledge. When you're starting somewhere fresh, it's very difficult to, to kind of um, build a friendship without at least seeing the person and having some interaction with them or having a common denominator. I think it's a very, um, without wishing to sound, it's not patronising, it, it's a genuinely, it's a genuine source of, of sorrow that we've reached a situation that people have to kind of go through some kind of formulaic um, uh, algorithmic approach to, to finding friendships when it should be, you know, hey, you know, how are you? I met you at the coffee machine kind of thing. And that's why um, this idea of, of holding back on encouraging people to go back to work is so devastating, especially for young people, people that live alone or people that feel socially isolated. Um, because that's a great place where people have friendships. And maybe over the past year, people have felt those workplace friendships have slipped away. And now they're looking for other things to, uh, to to do that. Can I just tell you very quickly, I run a podcast called Jewish Mother Me, which wonders whether people of any age, religion, domestic setting, gender could do with a bit of Jewish mother in their life. And one of the episodes we talk about is, is friendships and matchmaking and, you know, how we can all help people connect with each other just for the pure love of friendship, not because you're, you're looking to find someone to marry. So um, I do understand it very, very much, but it, it is a great shame that if the pandemic stops people from some really sort of you know having that face-to-face interaction and it's Sylvester from City AM then and journalist Angela Epstein thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast right up next it's PMQ's Unpacked hey it's Danny Pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. Now it's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley. And Patrick Maguire. So Patrick Maguire is here uh, for PMQ's Unpacked. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. Uh, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I, 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 usually at this point we talk about you know my liver having turned into pate or uh, you know me going to Wembley later but alas that's over that's back, all to, over. back to life back to reality back to when uh, you, without the distraction of uh, football at Wembley you can just concentrate on the upcoming excitement of Ian Blackford's question at PMQ's <laughs> which as I know is one of your highlights of the week it's a funny sort of situation this isn't it what, what do you think it feels like there's a wobble in the sort of Tory position. I mean, actually, not in the polls at all. They're still, you know, 10, 12 points ahead. But just, you know, there's the racism row, there's foreign aid, there's masks. There's quite a lot that, Bo- that Keir Starmer could go at today to sort of just needle Boris Johnson. Yeah, he could, he could, he, there are six issues. I'm not going to name all six. And I hope he doesn't do this because we'll be very confused by the end of the session. But as you say, there are so many fronts on which the government is vulnerable that he could genuinely ask six different questions on six entirely different topics today. As you say, aid, social media regulation is a big one that Labour are plugging away at. You have the Troubles Prosecutions uh, round this morning, which um, is a, a potentially very painful um, for the government and which Labour have been very active on. Um, yeah, there's no shortage of stuff. but I, And also the masks uh, is very much in keeping with Keir Starmer's. Um, line of attack recently, so he uh, has an embarrassment of riches for once, actually. And w- w- given your um, uh, uh, commitment, shall we say, to uh, lunching and wining and dining, <laughs> Labour insiders, I'm actually drinking water. Right how now. are? What's the mood around Keir Starmer? Uh, two or three weeks ago, it looked a bit dicey. He hung on in Batley and Spen. Um, things are sort of slightly improved. Is the operation improving? Yeah, as as we've said over the past two weeks, there is definitely a feeling in, internally that um, the opposition is feeling much sharper, that it's on the pitch in a way that wasn't necessarily before, um, and that it is good at picking issues and sticking to them. Now, in that vein, given that last week Keir Starmer was 
talking about three things, ventilation, masks and uh, proper payment, financial compensation for self-isolation. It wouldn't surprise me um, if he kept plugging away on the COVID front, talking about um, the many, many mixed messages from transport companies, the government, and indeed Grant Shapps on the round this morning saying, oh, it's completely consistent with government policy that you still have to wear a mask on the tube. All very confusing. Even when last week we had ministers talking about how quickly they were going to put their masks in the bin. Uh, well, let us know what you think about PMQs today. You can text us 87222, start your message with the word Times. Tweet us at Times Radio. What do you make of Keir Starmer's questions and whether or not Boris Johnson gave anything approximating an answer? 87222, start your message with the word Times. You can tweet me at Times Radio as we prepare to go live to the House of Commons uh, for the penultimate one, actually. Well, we've only got... Um, uh, one more left next week, haven't we? Yeah, Lindsay Hall puts on a video next week. <laughs> Everyone wears their own clothes. Wears your own clothes, bring in Buckaroo. Uh, <laughs> I quite like the idea of that. Lindsay, Lindsay Hall does have, I think somebody wants to talk, was it, somebody, I think somebody wrote in a column or emailed me once, I don't know, do you know what, I think it was Sarah Cox. Uh, Sarah Cox once tweeted that Lindsay Hall had the air of a sort of CDT teacher from school who, you know... Don't uh, touch the lathe! <laughs> I told you, don't touch the lid. <laughs> yeah, he'd be all jokes and laughter, but he'd really lose his rag if you started <laughs> mucking about with the tools. Anyway, let's go now live to the House of Commons. Here is Keir Starmer. Yeah, Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I start by thanking the England football team for everything they've given this country over the last six weeks? I'm so proud of this young, diverse and humble team and everything that it represents. Mr Speaker, they're the very best of modern Britain everything that I know this country can be. Does the Prime Minister think that it was wrong to criticise the England team's decision to oppose racism by taking the knee as gesture politics? I, I, I agree very much with uh, what the Right Honourable Gentleman said about the England team. And I repeat, I want to thank each and every one of them uh, for what they did uh, their incredible campaign they ran in the, in the Euro 2020 uh, championships. And, and they do represent the very best of our country. And uh, I repeat that I utterly condemn and abhor the uh, racist outpourings that we saw on Sunday night. And so what we're doing is today taking practical steps to ensure that the football banning order regime is changed. So that if you are guilty, Mr Speaker, of racist abuse on line of footballers, then you will not be going to the match. No ifs, no buts, no exemptions and no excuses. Uh, no ifs, no buts. The trouble is when Boris Johnson says no ifs, no buts. Is no ifs, no buts. We're leaving on October the 31st, immediately springs to mind. Uh, so probably not the most cast iron of uh, promises. Uh, clearly, Keir Starmer has decided that this is the issue that the country is most uh, aware of. Uh, they can see there's value in keeping it going. And actually, you know, he, he's parking himself right in the, in the news agenda. Yes, exactly. Um, and given that Boris Johnson for much of the Euros seemed to be, you know, riding the, uh, uh, the zeitgeist um, to the top of the polls, I think this is, we're seeing the flip side of this with Keir Starmer. Now, now obviously, what we'll probably get to in the next question or the question after that is, as you say, there's always a but with Boris Johnson, but also... Labour are going to point out that he's not a credible messenger on this stuff, as Gary Neville said so memorably on the uh, on the telly the other morning, uh, r rattling through the Prime Minister's back catalogue. I think it'll be, uh, you haven't acted on online abuse and also 
aren't you, why don't you have a look on the mirror, in the mirror of you before you talk about racist abuse towards... Uh, and it is interesting. So basically, the government's got itself in this situation. That a few, you know, at the start of the tournament, uh, the, the 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 public opinion or the the uh, you know the national conversation wasn't as clear cut. Some people were genuinely um, conflicted about the taking of the knee and politics and sport and all that. By the end of the tournament, they're all heroes, even though they didn't win. Uh, and you've got this situation where Priti Patel, in particular, put herself so at odds and said it was okay to boo the players uh, for what was just gesture politics. Yeah, and I remember being in the um, in the lobby briefing where the Prime Minister's spokesman repeatedly um, declined to condemn the fans who had booed taking the knee, and particularly given the ugly scenes at Wembley um, on Sunday on the at the outside of the ground as well, it, there is a very palpable feeling that the government called this one completely wrong and is on the side of the debate for which... The bulk of the public has no sympathy. And it's very interesting watching the Prime Minister try and backpedal now. And it'll be equally interesting to see whether uh, Keir Starmer can make the most of that. Well, let's go back Let's go back to the House of Commons. Uh, this is Keir Starmer's second question. Starmer. Mr Speaker, I'm sorry, that just won't wash. And it rings hollow. On the 7th... Remind the Prime Minister in the House. On the 7th of June, the Prime Minister's spokesperson said this. On taking the knee, specifically... The Prime Minister is more focused on actions rather than gestures. On the 14th of June, on the 14th of June, the Home Secretary said, the Home Secretary said, I just don't support people participating in that type of gesture politics. The Conservative MP for Bassett Law called it a ridiculous empty gesture. So there's no point of pretending that these things weren't said. The England footballer, Tyrone Mings said that Labour Party member I hear shouted out. Is that really the response? Is that it? Tyrone Mings. Tyrone Mings said, and the House might want to listen, he said this, labelling anti-racism messages as gesture politics served to stoke the fire of racism and hatred. Prime Minister, they're powerful words from someone who has himself been subjected to racist abuse. He's right, isn't he? Mr Speaker, I, I want to reiterate our, our, my support, our support, our total support uh, for our fantastic England team. And I, I support them in the way that they, uh, they show solidarity with their friends who, who face racism, Mr Speaker. But when he talks about uh, the Home Secretary, and let me just remind him that uh, my right honourable friend, the Home Secretary, has faced racism and prejudice all, all her career of a kind that he can never imagine. And she has taken practical steps to get black and minority officers into the police in record numbers. In fact, Prime Minister, I am... Sorry to interrupt you. I want to hear the Prime Minister. If his own side don't want to hear him, I'm sure the tea room will accommodate them. It's very important to listen to what the Prime Minister's got to say. Have you finished, Prime Minister? Are you OK? Yeah. Keir Starmer. Uh, well, uh, well, uh, Somebody's put their tie in the vice again. It's <laughs> been messing about with the... Somebody trying to touch the lathe. Um, uh, it's sort of interesting. I'm not sure we're getting very far on this. Uh, you know, it's not sort of going anywhere. It's an interesting question that Paul has just sent in. Is Keir Starmer echoing the zeitgeist of the nation or playing the culture wars? Ridiculing engagement the culture wars is still meddling in the culture wars. And I suppose that's a sort of... That's essentially what Keir Starmer is doing, isn't it? By, by highlighting the inconsistencies of the uh, Conservative side, he's also entering into this... More. Yes, but also, I mean, I mean, if we zoom out a little bit um, from our 
cutting edge analysis of the parliamentary cut and thrust and think 10 hours in the future where um, you know, you're sitting in fleet with your cup of Ovaltine <laughs> watching the 10 o'clock news um, and there is definitely an item near the top of the programme on um, abusive footballs on social media and the latest day's developments and there'll be clips of Keir Starmer taking the Prime Minister to task regardless of, um, regardless of whether um, we're getting particularly illuminating answers for the Prime Minister here or whether it's consistent with... Um, Labour's positions to date on this issue because bear in mind Keir Starmer was pretty slow at the start of the tournament to full-throatedly endorse taking the knee for obvious reasons. Um, Labour will be on telly on the right side in the view of most of the public um, of this debate. So I think um, regardless it's a pretty prudent approach to PMQs. And it's interesting, so far, uh, Keir Starmer's quoted, well, the, the briefing, the, the exact uh, lobby briefing that you were discussing. There you go. There you go. On, the, on the 7th of June, uh, Priti Patel talking about gesture politics on the 14th of June. Uh, he also uh, referred to the uh, member for Bassett Law, that's Brendan Clark-Smith, who's the Tory MP in, in Bassett Law. What he hasn't done yet, and maybe this is where he's going next, is because there were lots of Tory MPs who were squirming a bit. You know, it's not that everyone thinks this is a good place to be. And most recently, we've seen uh, Steve Baker, well, started off privately in, in WhatsApp groups and is now out on the airwaves doing it, saying that Conservative MPs must change their attitudes towards people taking the knee. Uh, he's urged his fellow Conservatives to get alongside those players who are taking the knee. Uh, it's a wake-up call to the Conservative Party of just how powerful our words are when we navigate these issues. Um, and so it'd be interesting to see if if Keir Starmer sort of because if you it's a real skill if you can achieve that at PMQs to sort of create a wedge between the prime yeah, minister exactly. and the MPs uh, uh, who are there. So let's go back to the comments, Mr. Speaker. Let me be clear. I totally condemn all racism, including that directed at the Home Secretary. But she's got this wrong. The whole country knows it. His own MPs know it. In the last few days, everybody has seen England's black players have been the targets of disgusting racist abuse following Sunday's match. Disgusting. And this is really simple, Mr Speaker. Either the Prime Minister is with the England players in their stand against racism, or he can defend his own record, those of his ministers and some of his MPs. But he can't have it both ways. So can he tell the House, does he now regret failing to condemn those who booed England players for standing up to racism, yes or no? Yes. Mr Speaker, we made it absolutely clear that no-one should boo the England team. And, uh, abs- and Mr Speaker, uh, what we're doing now is taking, following, the, following the racist abuse that our players sadly suffered on Sunday night and, and thereafter, we're taking practical action. So in addition to changing the football uh, banning order regime, uh, last night I met representatives, representatives of Facebook, of Twitter, of TikTok, of Snapchat, uh, of Instagram, and I made it absolutely uh, clear to them that we will legislate to address this problem, Mr Speaker, in the online harms bill, and unless they get, unless they get hate and racism off their platforms, they will face fines amounting to 10% of their global revenues. And we all know, Mr Speaker, that they have the technology to do it. Uh, let's just jump in uh, there. I mean, the, in, when he said we, the, the government condemned uh, the booing, I mean, that's, I mean, that's just factually not right. Yeah. Uh, Priti Patel was asked whether England fans had a right to boo England's national team. And she said, that's a choice for them, quite frankly. I've not gone to a football match to even contemplate that. I mean, that's not a condemnation. And given repeated opportunities to condemn 
the booers, as did they condone the booers, um, the Prime Minister's spokesman d declined to do neither, uh, declined to do both, rather. So, yeah, at no point did Boris Johnson come out and say, um, you know, we should all get behind the team taking the knee. That's... Um, that's nonsense. And that uh, final point that Boris Johnson was just making there about how social media companies will be uh, uh, could be fined up to 10% of their global turnover. We should make clear that's not new. That's not a thing which has come along as a, you know, as a new get tough message. And also that legislation has been in the pipeline for a very, very long time, at least a year. Yeah, this is, it's the online safety bill. Uh, social media companies and search engines will be forced to remove... This was the story at the time when it was... I think it was back in May when it was uh, sort of finally unveiled. Uh, this was talking about removing scams from their websites or face fines. The legislation will make tech companies legally responsible for the online safety of their users. Ofcom will become the regulator of the sector and will be able to impose fines of £18 million or 10% of a, for a, global's, uh, a firm's global turnover if they fail to show a duty of care to users. It's not specifically about the issues that we've been uh, looking at in the past uh, few days. Uh, well, let's go back to the comments. Uh, question four from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, the online harms bill has been promised for three years. I'm not sure a 15-minute chat at a garden party moves things forward that significantly. But I want to take the Prime Minister up on what he said about being absolutely clear, because here I have the headline, Mr Speaker. Boris Johnson refuses to condemn fans booing England taking the knee. That's the story. That's the headline, June the 6th. Boris Johnson refuses to condemn fans booing England taking the knee. That's absolutely clear. It's not quite what the Prime Minister is implying today. It quotes, it goes on to quote the Prime Minister's spokesperson, saying that the Prime Minister fully respects the rights of those who choose to make their feelings known. Yeah. This is about yeah. booing. Yeah. Fully respects their rights. And the Home Secretary said that booing was a choice for them, quite frankly. So no condemnation there, no absolute clarity there, Mr Speaker. When senior government ministers and Conservative MPs defend the booing of an anti-racist message, who do they think they're defending, Prime Minister, and why are they defending it? Yeah. Mr Speaker, nobody defends booing of the England side. Nobody defends booing of the England side. And if he, if he attacks, if he continues to attack the Home Secretary... Oh, Prime Minister, just... Look, I want to hear the Prime Minister... I want to know the answer, and I expect the opposition to listen to the answer. Prime Minister. Well, well thank, you. thank you, Mr Speaker. We, we love and admire the England side and what they did. They represent the best of our country. Nobody, de nobody defends booing uh, the England side, Mr Speaker, but what the Home Secretary has been trying to do all her life is not just to fight racism, but to take practical, to take practical steps to advance the cause of black and minority ethnic groups, which she has done successfully, notably in the, in the police. And, and since, Mr Speaker, he's, he's chucking this kind of thing around, could I ask him now to retract uh, this, this leaflet produced by the Labour Party during the Batley and Spen uh, by-election, which was condemned by his own MPs as dog-whistle racism, Mr Speaker. Right, OK, talking of PMQ. Yeah, so this is PMQ's Unpacked, where we pause the action trying to unpack what's going on. Patrick McGuire, Red Box Edge of the Times, uh, is with me. And there's quite a lot to unpack there. Uh, the Garden Party that Keir Starmer was referring to, this is a, an event which I think happened last night uh, with Boris Johnson and some of the tech firms. Uh, it was sort of briefed as being he read the right act, but it was a long plan. Yeah, uh, it wasn't the um, Boris Johnson, as you say, 
summons them for uh, the hair dryer treatment. It was um, pre-arranged reception. <laughs> there was a pre-arranged uh, drinks reception. There, there was that. Um, uh, uh, Keir Starmer, I think it was the Guardian he was f- f- waving around just for the, just, you know, people just, know that, what's the website? Maybe he's lost his Times login. Uh, he can get a subscription at the moment. It's uh, very reasonably priced. Um, uh, nobody defends booing, says Boris Johnson, but they weren't condemning it either. That's the That's the fundamental point on this, isn't it? Uh, yes, and <laughs> several Conservative MPs went as far as to say the England team weren't w- worthy of um, the support of uh, of uh, of uh, British. Well, Lee supporters. Anderson famously. Yeah. Lee Anderson, also uh, several others, you know, yeah. refusing to. Well, Lee Anderson was the the most unfortunate and famous of them all, of course. He was but... the poster boy who said he wouldn't watch England at all, but yes, uh, then yes. had to admit he was keeping updates on his phone. Uh, and then um, explain the leaflet, the Boris Johnson. So, so you've got Keir Starmer waving around a printout of the Guardian website. Boris Johnson then starts waving around a, a, a printout of a Labour leaflet. Yeah, so in, in Batley and Spen, obviously one of the main issues, and, and an issue that is really um, forcing Labour into quite painful contortions in uh, parts of the country where there are either large British Indian or British Pakistani communities, is Kashmir. Um and obviously that's a, a, a disagreement between India and Pakistan and each voters in each community in the eyes of the Labour Party um, want Labour to take um, a certain position on that bilateral dispute between India and Kashmir. Labour has been um, pulled all over the place in that, but in Batley, distributed a leaflet that showed Boris Johnson with Narendra Modi um, and included lots of bullet points talking about how um, he was unsound on the issues that mattered to um, to to basically British-Pakistani voters. Um, and I think Boris Johnson's point is Labour can't take the moral high ground on racism if it is going to um, tailor its messages to voters uh, of certain ethnicities along sectarian lines. Now, far be it from me to suggest that not everybody cares about the Batley and Spen by-election um, nearly a month out from afterwards and with a Euros tournament in between that has captured the public imagination. I'm not Terribly sure that one's going to cut through. Yeah, I think on the whole, if the public have a view on anything, it's probably the football rather yes. than uh, the battling spend leaflet. Right, let's go back to the comments. Uh, question five from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister isn't, isn't kidding anyone in this House. He's not kidding the public. And he's not even kidding his own MPs. Let me quote, let me quote the Conservative MP for Plymouth Moor View. Conservative MP, the painful truth, says the Conservative MP for Plymouth Moor View, is that Tyrone Mings is completely right. I am very uncomfortable, he says, with the position we Conservatives are needlessly forcing ourselves into. So, Prime Minister, behind you, they don't believe you, and neither do we. Mr Speaker, I will... Mr Speaker, we can all see what's happened here. The government has been trying to stoke a culture and they've realised they're on the wrong side. And now they hope that nobody's noticed. Why else would a Conservative MP boast that he's not watching his own team? Why else would another Conservative MP say that Marcus Rashford spends too much time playing politics when he's actually trying to feed children that the government won't? this week. And why will the Prime Minister refuse time and time again, even now, to condemn those who boo our players for standing up against racism? Mr Speaker, what is it that this England team symbolises that this Conservative Party is so afraid of? Well, Mr Speaker, I think think the House will judge for themselves. 
the, the quality of the question that the last uh, the, the right honourable gentleman has has just put. This is a, this, I think the whole House is united, uh, including our distinguished members uh, from Scotland. Uh, by the way, Mr. Speaker, in admiration of the England team and of, what, uh, of every single member of that squad and, and what they did, and we stick up for them, Mr. Speaker. And what we're doing is taking practical steps to fight racism, uh, ba- uh, changing the football banning order regime, uh, fining the online companies, and by the way, we will use more legislation if we have to, just as we use the threat of legislation, Mr Speaker, to stop the European Super League. And we will get on. We will get on with delivering for the people of this country. We will get on with vaccinating the people of this country while they continue to, to, to vacillate. Uh, we will continue to immunise the people of this country while they improvise and dart around. And, Mr Speaker, I don't want to, I don't want to engage in a, a, a political a culture war of any kind. I want to get on with delivering for the people of this country. He simply wants to get on with dithering. <sighs> there we are. Vaccinate, vacillate, immunize, all the, all the greatest hits. I mean, the biggest takeaway from that, Patrick McGuire, is I don't want to engage in a political culture war of any kind. Shocked. Shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. Uh, yes. Although I think that is indicative of the way the mood in this country, or perhaps, as you said before, to use your phrasing before, uh, a much more clear-cut public consensus on this issue has emerged. It wasn't... There was always a majority in favour of the England team taking a knee, uh, but over time, if you look at the polling, actually it is um, much closer to a supermajority than it once was. And I think that the Prime Minister's answer there, one, actually reflects his um, his self-regard uh, as a guy who he wants to be a prime minister who gets things done, spades in the ground, etc., etc., and will feel vulnerable to the idea that he is a man who, uh, who is all hot air. And I think the second thing is, actually, now uh, Labour has found a line on the culture wars, which is effectively that they're a bit ridiculous. Look at the petition they launched um, about Lee Anderson, that Tory MP who refused to watch the the games on Friday. People close to Keir Stone were telling me, actually, this is about owning the issues that the Tories think they own and exposing them as basically a little bit uncool, out of touch Being and weird. So this we should explain that yeah. la- last week the uh, Labour Party launched a petition urging Lee Anderson to carry on not watching the yeah. football. And they said, well, he was born in 1967. <laughs> Actually, it's finally clear Lee Anderson watching the games for his entire life as, is what's kept England from a major final, so please stop watching. Oh, but it was also a very clever way of Labour harvesting a lot of email addresses. Exactly. exactly right. OK, well, uh, apparently Boris Johnson doesn't want a culture war. Uh, let's find out if uh, Keir Starmer continues it anyway. Keir Starmer! He doesn't want to engage in a culture war on point scoring. Give me a break. Football, footballs, footballs... Football's a game. Racism isn't promised. That's why many of us have been involved in the charity show racism the red card for years. But far from giving racism the red card, the Prime Minister gave it the green light. And I'll tell you the worst kind of gesture politics, Mr Speaker. Putting an England shirt on over a shirt and tie whilst not condemning those booing is the worst kind of gesture. Mr Speaker... I want to ask the Prime Minister, finally, about the reported amnesty for crimes committed during the Troubles in Northern Ireland. I worked in Northern Ireland for six years with the policing board and the police. I've also prosecuted terrorists as the Director of Public Prosecutions, so I know how difficult and how sensitive this is. But a blanket amnesty, including for terrorists, is plain wrong. 
I was in Northern Ireland last week, and it's absolutely clear that the government's amnesty is not supported by the political parties in Northern Ireland, and it's not supported by victims' groups. Last Thursday, I spoke to victims of terrorism at the Wave Trauma Centre in North Belfast. Mr Speaker, they haven't even been properly consulted on this proposal. If things are to move forward in Northern Ireland, any discussion has to start with the victims. Politicians in London can't simply draw a line under terrorism and other crimes and then force it on those most affected. The Prime Minister looks up, so let him look up and let him hear. Because I want to quote Julie Hamilton, Mr. Uh, Prime Minister. Her sister Maxine was among the 21 people killed by the IRA in the Birmingham pub bombings. So that's Julie Hamilton, Prime Minister. She says, tell me, Prime Minister, if one of your loved ones was blown up beyond recognition, where you were only able to identify your son or daughter by their fingernails, would you be so quick to grant their murderers an amnesty and propose such obscene legislation? What does the Prime Minister have to say to Julie, and she's listening, and other victims like her? Uh, Mr Speaker, I, I think that the uh, whole House will acknowledge the suffering of victims like Julie and their, and their families. And, uh, of course, nothing I say or, uh, or can do now can in any way mitigate her, her loss, and, and that, is, uh, that is clear. Uh, but it is also true that the people of Northern Ireland uh, must, if we possibly can allow them to, they must move forwards now. And uh, he, he will know... Uh, that the proposals that are being brought forward and the House will hear about them in more detail later on from my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland. The proposals that are being brought forward are, are measured, they are balanced and they have a wide degree of support, I may say, uh, from former Labour Prime Ministers and former Labour leaders who I think are of considerable more, dis more distinction, uh, I may say, than the, than the right honourable gentleman opposite. And uh, he will recall that it was under uh, that Labour administration that many uh, terrorists uh, were unfortunately uh, given effectively an amnesty and th they were allowed to escape the full consequences of their crimes, as he knows very well. And that, was, that is the reality. Whilst the sad fact remains that, and this, this is of course uh, no consolation to uh, people like Julie, but the sad fact remains that there are many members of the armed services who continue to face the threat of vexatious uh, prosecutions uh, well into their uh, 70s and 80s and later, and we are finally, Mr Speaker, bringing forward a solution to this problem, to enable the province of Northern Ireland to draw a line under the Troubles, to enable the people of Northern Ireland to move forward. And I think someone with greater statesmanship and clarity of vision would have seen that, uh, Mr Speaker, and given these proposals a fair wind. There we are, there's Boris Johnson reacting there too. But Keir Starmer doing five questions on uh, the culture wars and, well, the taking the knee and racism in football. And then one last question on... Uh, on this uh, Northern Ireland, actually, he could have done six on, couldn't he, Patrick? He, he could have, um, but I think, actually, that one question made Maybe. the point very powerfully. He's, he's Basically, he's got himself probably in the news on he's England got, and England. Two and his, exactly, his, exactly. On the television behind you, at one point, I noticed the, um, the Troubles prosecutions is, is very high on the news agenda. Um, so he will be, he, from, a merely, uh, from a purely like mechanics of news perspective, 
he's got got a couple of bites of the cherry. And I think I actually got a text from, um, not to, you know, brag about my connections live on national radio, um, from uh, someone close to Keir Starmer. They're asking me what I thought of that question um, with, the, with the line, you know, we're going after them big time on this. Because think about it, Labour in the 2019 election were always attacked for Bor- uh, for by Boris Johnson for Jeremy Corbyn's sympathy for the IRA um and now they're offering terrorists of all uh persuasions in Northern Ireland a blanket amnesty and we actually ran that letter he mentioned from uh, the sister of one of the Birmingham pub bombing victims in in Redbox this morning it's very powerful um and it's clear Boris Johnson doesn't really have an answer and hearing him um hearing him try and um justify it on the grounds that just about on the grounds that, you know, the veterans were being dragged through the courts. Actually, if you turn it on its head and lead with the RA stuff, which the government is deliberately playing down, there was a bit of it in the papers this morning, but it's very much, for the papers that have campaigned on this, it's a paragraph 12 detail and not the top line of the story. But clearly, when the emphasis has changed, it's very, very uncomfortable. And the, the, that line about soldiers is much less convincing. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.